From our headquarters in New York City, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. We'd like to thank our friends at Fuego for sponsoring this episode. In case you're unfamiliar or have been living under a coffee table, hey, we don't blame you. Fuego is the industry's most comprehensive project management software for design professionals. Meticulously developed alongside designers like you, Fuego is tailored to the way you work and built to foster your success. Learn more at Fuego.com. That's F-U-I-G-O.com. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Ralph Pucci, founder of Ralph Pucci International. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And I say joining us, but really we're joining Ralph in that we're actually sitting at Ralph's desk in his office. So, so thank you for letting us come to you. Very good. Let's take people through the, the history. Not everyone might be as familiar as, as we are with, with Ralph Pucci International. So your, your family in the early 1950s uh, has a mannequin repair business. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so the mannequin company started in 1954 in the basement of my parents' house in Mount Vernon, New York. I think it's a terrific story. Uh, my grandfather was a uh, was in the plaster business. He used to make statues of uh, that you would see on the roadside of, uh, you know, the Blessed Virgin Mary or you know the you know, sure fun okay. things like that. Yeah. And uh, so my father uh, was the salesman. My mother was the wig maker and makeup artist. And they would go to uh, the different department stores to pick up the mannequins and repair the mannequins in in the basement of their home. And and over time they were able to. Uh, you know, grow, and they took a small place on 20th Street, you know, 2,000 square feet, and I came into business in 1976. Okay. And that's when we decided that uh, they had all the positions. They had the caster, they had the, they had the casters, they had the finishers, they had the sprayers, they had the packers. They had all the positions except a... Um, Except a pa- uh, except a sculptor. So we had to uh, hire a sculptor, and that's when we started to do our own mannequins. So they had all of the positions, meaning all of the all of the tools and different workstations that you would need right. to, to to create exactly. mannequins. Yeah. Except they didn't have a, a, a sculptor, someone right. with with a vision to sort of articulate what the look was. was well, going yeah, to be. the vision would come from us. The sculptor would execute the vision. Okay. So, and that's when I came in, and my father was very open to ideas. And we decided that uh, the first collection of mannequins, everyone at that particular time was doing mannequins that were very elegant and very, very sophisticated and very chic. Mannequins back then always came with uh, wigs and uh, were very um, you know, stylish. And we, they were really good. They were right. really good. So how, how do you differentiate yourself? So we went the absolute opposite way. We decided to do mannequins that were in athletic poses. Uh, mannequins that did handstands, mannequins that were jogging, uh, more lifestyle. You know, now it's, it's, it's very common, but back then right. it wasn't. And instead of painting the mannequins out in a realistic skin tone and putting wigs on them, we just sprayed them out high gloss black, high gloss red. Uh, and it became more of a sculptural element to a store and it in repetition if you see you know the joggers and you do three or six or even 15 joggers w- running down a, right. uh, a, a, a walkway of, of a store or in the window it became very powerful and it was very successful 
So this was what the the late nineteen seventies, early eighties. Yes, this okay. was probably around seventy eight. Okay, and so who were some of your customers at the time? Who were some of the retailers that were buying? Well, one of, the, one of the first to buy it was, it was Barney's downtown. Okay. Uh, way before you know they became Barney's uptown. Right. So Barney's was a good customer of ours. There was you know Gimbel's. There was Macy's. Uh, oh, there were so many stores in the '70s. It was boom time for retail. You know, it was an exciting time. Yes. Uh, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue. There was, you know, all, all, all the stores. All the stores were actually, the great thing about the visual merchandising industry and retail in the 80s is they were always open to new ideas, and they always embraced new ideas. And, and I, think it's really, I think it's really great that, uh, that they were able to do that. That gave me the confidence not only to do the mannequins, but even to take the gamble years, many years later to go into furniture with Andre Putman. Right. So, so, so let's talk about Andre Putman. And, and for, for our listeners that might not be familiar with who Andre Putman is, would, would you just explain a little bit of her background? Sure. And, and, Andre, yes. Andre is a, a designer from Paris. Uh, she passed away around five years ago. She was, uh, you know, she had her career. She was, she was a, a visionary. There's no question. You know, she championed the work of Jean Michel Franck, Eileen Gray, Pierre Chereau, way before that whole style was being, uh, you know, accepted. And she was one of the first in Paris to have a loft. She did some of the very cutting edge uh, stores that were opening in Paris. I think she did Thierry Mugler. She, I think she also might have done. Uh, East Saint Laurent stores. Uh, her big uh, claim to fame in the United States was to do was doing the Morgan Hotel with Ian Schrager, which reinvented, right. uh, I think, uh, the way a hotel is 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 looked at. And she did the interior of the French Concord. She had style, and style, and style. <laughs> she was an extraordinary figure. Extraordinary, and she always dressed in Azadine Alaya. Back then, smoking was fashionable and she smoked and smoked <laughs> nonstop nonstop yeah. and she had this very deep voice that was just so dramatic and when she walked into the room everyone looked and she she demanded uh, you know she demanded the uh, attention uh, and she was just a, a, a true uh, visionary yeah I was very lucky to meet her when I was young I think I met her like I was 28 years old we did a mannequin together uh, for the downtown Barney store, when okay. Barney first started to show women's clothing, so she came to to Pucci and and wanted to commission a mannequin or a series of well, mannequins. Well, it actually happened. Uh, Mallory Andrews from at the time Barney's publicist and Jean Pressman at the time Barney's owner uh, came to me and said, "Would you do a mannequin exclusively for us for?" The downtown women's store that was opening, I think, like in in the early '80s, and I think '80, '80, '85, maybe. Okay. And um, we had already had a reputation of working with edgy people because in the mannequin business, you know, as I said, we always, if everyone went right doing those classic kind of mannequins, I always went the other way. Right. And when you go the other way, you know, you opened up to so many different possibilities. So we were doing all these abstract ideas. And uh, they, the mannequins had to be dressed when you did a show. And so we were always using young fashion designers. So we were using Isabel Toledo in the, in the early 80s and uh, Stephen Sprouse, the great fashion designers. So all these really edgy you know, people who, who were living in New York at the time, uh, we, we were u- utilizing their talent, you know, whether they were illustrators or photographers or, or fashion designers. So Barney's knew I was doing that. 
Right. And they loved that I was doing the action mannequins. And so we were the obvious choice at that point in time. So they wanted a, a, a sort of groundbreaking yes. new look, yep. right, for the downtown yep. store? And, and they pretty much uh, did not give Andre, which is also great. It's like he came, Andre came with very, very fresh eyes. Uh, she had no experience with the mannequin. Years later, she told me it was, she, she was even intimidated by doing it, but she loved the process. She loved the process because, you know, you're touching the clay, you're working with the sculptor, you get immediate results. Whereas when you're designing the hotel, uh, you know, it, it takes years. And, you know, an idea, sure. an, an idea, you know, that could be presented for the hotel, you know, a couple of years down, a year down the road, it, it's executed. Whereas with us, she had an idea with the clay, you know, five minutes later it was executed. So she loved uh, working on the project and she came into it with a totally fresh set of eyes. She didn't have... Because she had never done that. She had never done it, which is so, so important. You know, even though I grew up in the business of the uh, mannequin world, I didn't spend that much time. I went Saturdays. I used to come to Pucci and pack the bases or go with my father to deliver the mannequins. But I also came into the business with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. That's why I had the vision. If everyone was going right, I went left. I said, right. that was pretty good. We can't do that. Let's go somewhere else. Andre was the same way. And I think in, in over time, I think we, we thought alike. And that's why I think we got along so well. She was, you know, if, if something had been done, there was no reason to do it again. And particularly if it had been done well, why? Just, you know, right. you know, it's not a commodity that we're doing at Pucci. She wasn't doing, you know, she was always looking for something new. So uh, the whole Andre Putman mannequin story was, was the beginning of everything for me. You know, we, when we did the mannequin, it was sort of art deco. Uh, it was Amazonian. It was that's when Azadina Laya was just breaking. That's when Thierry Mugler, Claude Montana, right. with the big shoulders. Yeah. So you know she wanted it a combination of, of all that feel, and um, we also sprayed that mannequin in like in deep golds and in, 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 in silvers and looked like it had come out of the earth, which was very very new at the time as well. Because uh, again, people were still doing the realistic mannequin, and here comes this Andre Putman. Olympian goddess mannequin <laughs> yeah. that uh, you know you know where did it come from and um, it was a big success for Barney's uh, when we did the opening launch uh, it was incredible success because um, we had her audience her audience was Andy Warhol Keith Haring uh, Basquiat uh, we brought in all the top stores from the United States all the stores from uh, Europe and the fashion designer was Isabel Toledo, so she brought her crowd in who were all the up-and-coming uh, fashion people of the United States. So it was just a real mix of... So this was sort of the most extraordinary opening party ever, yes, right? Yeah, I mean, it yeah. sounds like it was... Andy Warhol, as yeah. you say, was there. Yeah. All, all of the big department store people were there. The big fashion designers right. were like there. Like a thousand people, which had never been done in the mannequin business before. And it was right. great because it was a mix of like, you know, power people, downtown people, funky people. It was a really great, great, great mix of, of unique and, and important people. Yeah. And yeah. that put us on the map. I think the next day, page six wrote about it. Uh, Nina Hyde at the Washington Post, the legendary writer, journalist, she gave it a page and a half. The Olympian goddess is now, you know, the changing of the mannequin world. And, you know, people, Pucci's taking chances, Andre's taking chances, and it's all going to change. 
Right. And, and so it, exactly. So it's all going to change. It, it seemed to somehow signify that there was this new wave coming. Yes. yes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, now the rules were broken. No longer did you have to do the realistic mannequin. Right. Anything could go. I mean, you know, and that's when it was just an avalanche of ideas. And I started to work with Ruben Toledo, the illustrator, yeah. the painter. I started to work with Kenny Scharf, the artist. I started to work with Myra Kalman. You know, so we started to do mannequins with orange hair and green hair and green noses. You know, it just became this fantasy world and it was all accepted because the stores were really begging for newness. So, and, and that's what they thought would catch people's attention, draw people in. Yep. And, and so they Great. used... They yep. use the mannequins as, as art and, and sculpture. They yeah. use the mannequins as art, sculpture, and obviously to, you know, to create a, a, a unique environment. So you had this incredible party at Barney's. That party was at Pucci, not at, at Barney's. It, it was at Pucci. Yeah. Okay. So the, so the party was here for the for Yeah, the for the launch. Okay. So everybody came here. Was it, was it this space? No, we 18th? were downtown at that time. Okay. In, in the 80s, we were at 578 Broadway, which was Broadway and Prince, which okay. was also new. You know, Soho was, was, was not Soho of today. Right. There was a lot of galleries then. A lot yes. of the artists lived there. You know, all the important artists actually lived down in Soho at that particular time. And shortly thereafter... And, and you tell me, Andre Putman sort of approaches you about representing her, her furniture line. Yes? Right. It's a cute story because then she invited me to go on a, to one of her uh, to go to one of her furniture openings. Right. And and, and I, I love to tell the story. I was like, wow. I mean, this is going to be some opening, and who's going to be there? It's going to be you know the Beatles and the Rolling Stones <laughs> and everybody else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be incredible. So we get there, and there's like 30 people. So you get to the D and D building, yeah, which okay. is where so, her furniture. So, so is it's at the D and D building, right. okay. And uh, you know, there's like 30 people, <laughs> and it's like I had never been to the D and D building before, and I saw it's an incredibly, uh, you know, typical type of building, right? And you know, we were in a loft in Soho, and here yes. we go. Now we're going up to the to a very you know standard type of store, right? And um, it had no magic. It, it lacked, uh, you know, it, 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 it was lacking spirit. And Andre was always about spirit and uniqueness. So it was like, wow, this is really not uh, what I expected. And when I saw the crowd, it was, uh, it was all one type of person, only the people from the furniture world. Right. And, you know, there's nothing worse than just being with one group. It's so much more fun to be with a total mix of, of unique people who have unique talents and and a unique vision and so it was a pretty uh i was pretty disappointed and then so Andre said would you like to have dinner uh after and i said sure and she said what did you think of the opening now also the presentation it's not just that you know the, the lack of attendance right the presentation at pucci we, we we try to curate everything like if it's a still life we give it a lot of room you walk around you see the pieces whether it's the mannequin or whether it's a piece of furniture and at this particular uh, gallery that she was shown in, showroom that she was shown in, it must have been you know like 500 pieces of furniture. There was office furniture, there was you know outdoor furniture, and then there was Andre's pieces, which were Eileen Gray, Jean Michel Franck, Pierre Chereau, right. just mixed in. So it was you know visually not exciting. Okay. And uh, these were all things that at dinner Andre mentioned to me. She says, well, why don't you sell my furniture? Why don't we work together? And I said, I don't know anything about furniture, Andre. I don't know anything about the furniture industry. And uh, she says, oh, you have a lot of passion and you, you're intelligent. And, uh, you know, all you have to do is, is, is try and you'll be successful, I guarantee you. I basically said, well, thank you for thinking of, of me and we'll see. Thank you, but no. Yeah, thank you, but no. <laughs> 
I didn't actually say no. You don't say no to Andre Bowman. Right, right. But I didn't say yes. You just didn't follow up. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Okay. But, but from what I gather, she she was somewhat insistent, and so she kept sort of coming coming. Well, back she was to you. coming to New York often because okay. she was doing the Morgan Hotel. And we decided with the great success of the first Andre Putman, the Olympian goddess, right. we needed to do uh, the husband, the, the male mannequin. Ah, okay. That's what was missing, was the husband. She did the husband. So when she was um, coming to New York on such a regular basis, and now she's doing the husband for me, uh, she would have the opportunity to say, have you thought about the furniture? Right. And uh, so she was able to keep uh, at it. So eventually you say yes to something. What, what did you ultimately say yes to? What happened was retail was changing dramatically at that time. It was a very down period. Uh, Macy's had filed Chapter 11. Uh, a guy named Campo bought mm. all of Federated. Sure. All the Federated stores went into Chapter 11. Right. So you have basically half of the United States in Chapter 11, and when stores are in Chapter 11, they're obviously uh, are not, you know, buying mannequins and looking to reinvent, uh, you know, reinvent the the image of the store. So I so we have to be very careful here. So why don't I take a chance and show Andre's work? And I did it in a way that really was not a a big financial uh, uh, expenditure. I had a mannequin show coming up, and I said, why don't we use the mannequin and use the furniture as sort of the prop, as if it was in a window. So we would take the Eileen Gray transat chair right. and have it shown with maybe a mannequin in front and maybe a mannequin behind it. Uh, a beautiful you know, still life image of that. Why don't we take the, the Lartigue table, which was black and white, and, and have a mannequin near it. So you just do these you know, beautiful vignettes utilizing the furniture. So it created an environment, it created a spirit for the showroom, and at the same time, uh, if someone wanted it, it could be sold. So it was sort of a kill, you know, you could, you could get it done very simply. Right. And it wasn't that big of an expense, as I said. So what happened was we had Dayton Hudson's come in, uh, the, one of the gigantic, uh, legendary names in retail, visual merchandising store design was a man named Andy Markopoulos mm. from Dayton Hudson. And he had an incredibly fine eye. And he walked in and loved the showroom. And he started to point. And we love pointers. <laughs> he says, I'll take six tables of Lartigue. I'll take 24 Eileen Gray Transat chairs. I'll take 24 Jean Michel two seat sofas. Oh my goodness. I'll take 48 uh, Jean Michel Franc club chairs. And I'll take 24 uh, Mariano Fortuni floor lamps. Wow. And I said to him, I called him to the side because he always traveled with a big entourage. And uh, so he's, he's there with like 15 of his, of, his, of his assistants. And I said, Andy, you know, this is not display furniture, it's a little on the pricey side. Even back then, it was a little on the pricey side. And he said, no, I know, Ralph, I know. Uh, 
the Lartigue table, <laughs> 15,000. And he, and he went on to name almost everything very, very close to the... Uh, so he understood. The he he totally, totally, totally okay. understood. And what, why he bought... So then I called Andre up on a Saturday because the shows back then used to even be Saturday and Sunday. They went from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I called Andre up on Saturday. I said, Andre, you won't believe this, but uh, Dayton Hudson's just bought, you know, thousand uh, five hundred pieces of, of, of our furniture was, right and she said oh ralph you have to get the money because it's a different kind of industry i said no it's, it's different i say because dayton hudson's is a very big department store in the midwest and they want to uh utilize the furniture she goes what do you mean utilize it i said well they're gonna they're gonna use it in a way that is uh, a whole new style a whole new uh, lifestyle is starting to happen in the united states that you could come into a shop and the husband could sit down, read the Wall Street Journal, and 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 or the wife could come in and sit down and read a Vogue magazine while they the, the other one right. tries on their clothes and, and shops. So they're creating these environments, and uh, this is the environment for the designer shops. So bingo, we were lucky, and uh, that was the beginning of the story. Incredible. Yeah, Incredible. great story, right? Yes, it's it's a great story and probably hard to repeat that success once you once you really got going. But but this at least helped you to take the the leap and say yes, we we're, we're going to try. Furniture. Absolutely, that was the beginning. That was the very very beginning. And then we did have then we had one more lucky situation happen with retail and my furniture. We had the limited, the, the department store or the specialty store, the limited, which was a very hot store in at that time. That was Les Wexler's baby they came in and bought a ton of furniture as well so we you know we, we we got out we started out really really successful in the beginning so and then reality set in <laughs> right so 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 what was the reality after that the reality then we had to go you know then we had to meet the architects and the decorators and it was a whole new world right you know we we were we were selling the furniture to my audience Whereas I had to develop a whole new audience if we were going to be, if it was going to be really a business for yes. me. So then we had to, you know, we started at ground zero. You know, we just sent out invites and little by little, uh, you know, through Andre's name, you know, some big name people. She was friends with a lot of, uh, you know, important people. Uh, they would come to the opening and in the beginning, the openings would be like, you know, 150 people. And over time, you know, it, it grew to be, you know, a very big happening. Well, and as you were saying earlier, you had this incredible mix of people that 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 come to your events, right? Right. right. So important. Yes. Yes. It's it, it's not it's not a, a singular crowd. Right. And and you've got and she loved that. Yes. She, in I'm in sure. fact, you know, because I remember Stephen Sprouse used to come to the openings, and her friend David Seidner. So it was a really fantastic, you know, important people who who now are legendary names, but back then they were working on great projects, doing innovative work. So it was it was always a, it was always really exciting to at a Pucci party, and and they continue to be. But when you look back, who who did uh, attend our openings? It's pretty great. Yeah, it, it's really, and and I'm sure that's part of what helped to attract new artists and and furniture makers and and uh, lighting designers and so many people. I, I'm sure came to you as a result of, of absolutely. The, I always I always say, you know, talent surrounds themselves with talent. 
you know, Jeffrey Fulvamari, you know, David LaChapelle, they, they all hung out together. Right. Uh, Ruben and Isabel Toledo, you know, hung out with uh, all these fantastic, you know, Stephen Gahn, James Cagliardos, all those great names uh, who then went on to create Visionaire magazine and then, you know, Visionaire people. James Cagliardos would tell me someone I should check out. Cecilia Dean, who was part of the Visionaire group. You know, so they, they, they would recommend, uh, you know, go check out the photography of Joseph Astor, go check out, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just a snowball. There's so much creativity, right. particularly in New York at that particular time. And, uh, you know, if you have your eyes and ears open, you, you, you really could find some incredibly talented people. So what was the, what was the time when, when all of this started to really happen with the furniture for you? Well, the furniture, so I met Andre, I think, in 85. We started doing the furniture probably in 89, and then little by little, I, we did, I think once we moved to this location that I'm at now, uh, okay. 44 West 18th Street, right. is when we really took the furniture to another level. We had more space. Uh, they were still mannequin slash furniture shows, but we started to eliminate the mannequins when it wasn't season. In the mannequin world, there was two or three shows two in New York, one in San Francisco. So when it wasn't showtime for the mannequins, for the stores to come to the United States, we would remove the mannequins and the floors would just become furniture. So that's when I think it became, uh, that's when I think it, people started to take us very serious. Okay, so that it wasn't just about mixing the mannequins in with furniture. No, I think when a... we stopped mixing is when I think they started right. to really right. take us serious. Yeah, And the first person we signed up was Chris Larica. Oh, okay. And uh, that's when, as I like to say, the soundtrack or the, or the, or the puzzle, the piece of the puzzle, you know, we're putting this puzzle together, where, what we want this to be. Uh, the first person uh, I had, actually what had happened was Andre had sold her business. Mm. And I hit it off very, very well with the new owner. Andre stayed on as creative director. But I, I started to think, wow, I said, now that we, you know, we were making some headway in the furniture business, now it's time for me to create my own story. Because uh, if Andre had left and the new owner of Ecart International didn't hit it off with me, uh, that would have been the end of my career in furniture. You know, right? Short lived. But what happened was uh, I, I saw that the you know the uh, there was an opportunity in the furniture world, as I saw there was an opportunity in the visual merchandising world, uh, and I think uh, my my idea of as I say everyone goes right making. You know, following the, the sheep and going with the realistic mannequins in furniture. You know, we went the other way. Andre, you know, all the pieces that Andre was uh, promoting at that time was very, very new and different. Yes. Uh, and she, and 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 that's what I said. Pucci furniture has to be. It has to be new and different. And if it's out there already, there's no reason for me to do another piece like that. So I love the hand pieces, the hand work of Chris Larica. I loved his wooden pedestals, you know, I think of Brancusi. And then I loved his, you know, very shakerish kind of coffee tables. And uh, I love the whole spirit and I love the hand of the artist. Right. And again, the hand of the artist is very consistent to the mannequin world because the mannequins are sculpted by hand. Yes. It's a very old world. Right. I love to say our heroes are Brancusi, our, uh, you know, uh, Giacometti mm -hmm. and um, Henry Moore; those are our heroes. And Chris Lerica's heroes were the same. 
Andre's heroes were pretty much the same. So Chris was the first one to come in, and it was a really nice play. You had the very minimalistic, uh, sleek furniture that Andre surrounded herself with and promoted, and then you had the rustic, uh, earthy pieces, the handmade pieces of Chris Lerica. And they really, it was a beautiful mix, and, and, and it worked really well. So he was the first designer that I took on after Andre Putman. And then it became a snowball. Then I became very, very good friends with Patrick Nagar. Ah, okay, yes. Patrick was from the Andre Putman world. Right. And then it just, you know, just it just kept going. It just kept coming to you. And it, and it seems that, that part of the magic of what happens in this space is that you create really a, a, a gallery-like environment rather than a, a furniture store or a department store feeling, right? That was very important right. to the setup of all of this. Exactly. Yes? And again, that started from my uh, my mannequin visual merchandising days, roots. You know, you always had to t- put together a really great presentation. You know, you walked in and the spacing of mannequins, uh, the visual element that accommodated the mannequin. Uh, you know, it, so you created almost like a theater set or a movie set. So when we did the furniture, it, it, I, I kept the same idea, you know, to create something that was exciting visually. And at the same time, you, you're able to walk around the furniture to see the quality of it, uh, which, is, was, which, which was very different from the, from the people who used to represent Andre. When, as I said, you walked in and there was 500 pieces of furniture where we're showing 30 or 40 pieces. Right. You know, the, uh, a retail uh, a store, the D&D, may be showing 400 pieces. And you don't really understand it and you don't get to see the quality and, and what the spirit of the furniture is about. And the, and the the pieces are in in very limited su- supply. Yes. Well, Andre, at that particular time, Andre's pieces were not limited edition, but it was so new that they were we were not selling thousands of right. anything. They weren't was, being mass produced. They were not being mass produced. Uh, over time, we started to to go into more limited edition pieces. With the, when I started to uh, to showcase the work of Hervé van der Straten, Eric Schmidt. Um, Elizabeth Gurust and Patrick Nagar, you know, we started to do more limited edition uh, wow pieces, you know, pieces that, uh, you know, again, that, that are cherished and kept and that are passed on to the family. Right. So, so sort of creating heirloom pieces. Yeah, that, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so tell me for you how you started to juggle both your, your sort of retail-driven mannequin business, right, and now this sort of designer and, and architect-driven furniture business. How did you sort of weave in and out of yeah, those yeah. two? Yeah, you need a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. You need a lot of energy. You need a lot of passion. And, uh, you know, you need to keep your eyes and ears open and, you know, opportunities and opportunities were just coming at us left and right in both worlds. And it was exciting, exciting times. And it's still very, very exciting. It's it's that simple. I mean, I I can't say what I actually did. It just when an opportunity came, we just ran with it. So the opportunity meaning there were there were there were partnership opportunities. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you you meet a a photographer. You meet you meet some. You know, you meet a Joseph Astor. He's a fabulous photographer. You get all jazzed up when you work with someone so fabulous and so new and so different. And then, you know, you, you meet someone in, in a Paul Matsu or you meet a Jim Zivic, you know, uh, and they, they just have there's so much creativity, there's so much of a vision, there's so much uniqueness that, you know, you know you're doing something different that someone else isn't doing. And, and again, it's so important to do something different. 
to be successful in business, my opinion. And I just saw this as a, what an opportunity and what an exciting time. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, but we'll be right back. To stand out in this crowded industry, you need more than a love of design. You need strategy, sales, marketing, and other things they don't teach you in design school. This episode is brought to you by Fuego, whose mission is to empower the design trade. Fuego believes that business and art can and must coexist, and they've built a platform to make that happen. Learn more at Fuego.com. And now, back to the show. Music is a big influence in your, in your life. You, you, you played music as a, as a child, yes? Yes, I did, yeah. And, and uh, I think I started like in third or fourth grade playing drums, and I played into, until college. And you thought at one point you might go into the music business in some way? Well, you know, I think everyone has a dream. What do you, who knows what they want to be when they're young? Uh, music was something that always interested me. Okay. And uh, I was fortunate to for somehow always find some interesting and creative, you know, Miles Davis and, and, and you know, Chet Baker and Milt Jackson when I was in, in uh, late high school. So Influence Monk and the soundtrack at Poochie is jazz. And it's so important that it's always playing. I think it's an elegant form of music. It's a sophisticated form of music. And uh, I think that, that sums up what Poochie is. That's what we're trying to exude. Well, it seemed that, that a soundtrack is, is sort of an important part of, of all of this, as you, as you say. And it seemed as if you were putting together furniture pieces and art pieces and the and the music somehow seemed just as important to creating the setting as, as all of the other elements that were that were in the space very very much so it's sort of like you know i you know i'm, I'm not a designer so therefore you know we're trying to put together a, a visual picture of, the, of what we're trying to accomplish here and uh m- music is obviously the exclamation point to it all but it's, it, it is so, so important. The downstairs right now, it's a little bit of a different vibe. Like on the 12th floor, the penthouse floor, we're showing Hervé van der Straten, James Brown, Richard Meyer, and it's a little bit more of an elegant feel right. and a very sophisticated feel. Downstairs, we, it's a little bit more of a fun feel. We, we're showing Pierre Pallon, Indy Madavi, um, John Koga, and it's, we're, we're playing more rhythm and blues. And, and, and I think it's, it's really important to go to the two different floors and to have a totally different visual experience and also uh, the music to create that experience. So you bring a lot of passion to it. You, you're, you're pushing yourself constantly to do something very different than what the, what the design world is, is doing, right? You, you've got these gallery spaces. How many floors are, are here that are gallery spaces? We have two floors here, which is 30,000, a, a little bit more than 30,000 square feet just for the uh, gallery. Right. And then we have 15,000 square feet, which is, our show, which is our mannequin factory slash sculpture studio. And it's also where we produce our new fiberglass furniture collections. Yes, so let's talk about that because I, I had the pleasure of sitting on some of that yeah. and it's it's fantastic. So who helped you sort of usher in the, the outdoor fiberglass furniture collection? Well, again, you know, I am a businessman and I am someone who likes to always work with new people. So I'm sort of a mix, right? So as years ago when the, fir- when the mannequin business was, everyone was in chapter 11, I had my eyes and ears open and Andre had asked me once or twice I knew okay let's try it so the fiberglass furniture came about 
retail, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone, is really going through major, major changes. And I do think in time it's all going to come back to be an exciting uh, vehicle and a successful vehicle. But it's, it's gone through some retail. rough... Retail. Okay. Retail really has gone through some very, very rough times. You know, a lot of department stores and specialty stores have closed. Uh, they are not, uh, you know, putting their best foot forward sometimes because they're being cautious how much money they're spending. So, and, and is that part of what you think that the challenge is? They're, they're being cautious, they don't seem confident, or they don't seem Well, clearly... you know, it's being follow the leader, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like if everyone wants to pull back, everyone pulls back. If everyone wants to say it's the internet, everyone's, you know, it, it's, it's no one's marching again. My, my thing, everyone goes right, they're all right. going right. And they're all, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're just following. There's all followers. Right. And so what's happened is, uh, you know, uh, it's it, the mannequin business, the visual merchandising industry uh, took a big hit. And I have this mannequin shop. I have a fabulous sculptor. I have some fabulous workers who have been with me forever. Right. And we thought we have an opportunity to create some interesting fiberglass pieces of furniture. So one of the first projects we did utilizing my sculptor and my uh, factory was to do a uh, chair with uh, Vladimir Kagan. Oh, okay. And I uh, had just come back from uh, Europe. I had been nice and rested, and I, I came back with lots of ideas. And I called up Vladdy, and I said, why don't we create a fiberglass chair? And it could be a limited edition. And he created this beautiful, beautiful piece. And it's it's, it's been successful. and. We promoted it, had a, received a lot of attention because we promoted it, that it was being sculpted at Pucci. Of course, Vladdy was very involved. He loved, again, as Andre Putman, he loved coming into my place and working very closely with my sculptor. Yeah, I'm sure. It, was, it, 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 it had potential. I won't say it was a gigantic success, but okay. it had, had tons of potential. Everyone loved it. It was a beautiful piece. Then we did some sculptures together. And then we sort of put it on the back burner. And then we'll fast forward to some rough times in retail. And I was sitting with Patrick Nagar, and I said, why don't we do something in fiberglass, Patrick? And maybe we could do it in outdoor furniture because my materials, fiberglass, will work outdoors very nicely. And Patrick, as I said before, I have a fantastic working relationship with him. He's a brilliant mind. Uh, he's a visionary. He's also a student of design, and he's a classic uh, design. And you know, he's not trendy or tricky because we hate anything trendy or tricky at Pucci. So <laughs> okay. he he came out with this beautiful, beautiful shape for an outdoor chair, and we just jumped on it. I mean, this he he had given it to me, and we I, I ran downstairs and gave it to my sculptor. I said, "Let's get started now," <laughs> which is the luxury of when you have a sculpture studio. It's not like okay, let me book it. It's going to take two years. Right. Uh, by then, that idea will be stale, and you know, everyone, someone may have uh, already done that. So we started to uh, sculpt immediately, and I saw that it was be it was, it was going to be a magical idea. And again, we documented the whole process of sculpting the chair in clay and the plaster, uh, the plaster process of making the mold. And again, you know, we work old style, so it's like a Brancusi studio downstairs. Right. And the visuals of capturing this are very exciting. I think Interior Design Magazine ran a big story on it. Uh, won, it won all kind of awards for outdoor furniture. It's very different. Everyone's doing the same uh, kind of furniture. 
Uh, not that it's good or bad, but it's a lot of the sameness is, yeah. is what's happening in outdoor furniture. And this is totally different. So uh, we came up with that about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and and, and we've continued to build on it. We've uh, Patrick then went on to create an outdoor bench, a side table, and we have other ideas in mind. And um, then just recently to, to continue to work and what was also nice about the Patrick Nagar collection was that we started to use the fiberglass, but used it in with changed the colors. Right. So we were able to create terracotta, a terracotta look. Mm-hmm. We were able to create in fiberglass. In fiberglass, right? We were able to create, uh, you know, like a, a deep, deep, deep black that you don't you're not sure what the material is, which is pretty fabulous when you look at something and you do not know what is it. And it's a comfortable chair. It has you. It has a unique a look to it because mm-hmm. of these finishes, and of course the design is is pretty fabulous. So with the success of the outdoor furniture from Patrick Nagar, we continued to work with our sculpture studio with the Hawaiian artist John Koga, and there we came up with a finish called plaster glass. We love plaster. Uh, we love that whole era of you know that Jean Michel Franck era, you know, right. utilizing um, Giacometti. Uh, to, to, to create works uh, to coincide with uh, with G. Michel Franck. So we, we wanted to do plaster, but we felt plaster was, was it, it, it's complicated and it, it could break in shipping. And you know when you're in business, you want as few headaches as possible. Sure. sure. So we did, uh, we created a finish that we call plaster glass. And it's a mixture of plaster and fiberglass. And the show that is currently up right now by John Koga, a surrealistic sculptor from Hawaii, we, we took some of his surrealistic shapes, we sculpted them. He did some in Hawaii, we did some in New York, and we created uh, lamps and tables and chandeliers in this finish. And, and it's, uh, it has lots of potential again. So we feel we're on to something very unique because very few people have a sculptor and very few people have a have a fiberglass shop that can change the look of the fiberglass. So it's not like you're doing the same thing over and over. Sure. And we're able to create new uh, finishes, which makes it very unique. And it's all your own facility, so you and it's can all my own facility. Control all of this, all of this production, and that's all sort of just getting started. And you have showrooms now in LA and in Miami where yes. I would assume outdoor big opportunity right there so yep. so you've shown it uh, there and and it's and it started to we've shown we've showed the collection in all three places all three have been well received uh, of course New York has been has has received it the best uh, so far that's our home audience right. but we, we're having it, it's been very well received in Los Angeles as well and, 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 and I feel in Miami it's going to pick up and uh, it's different you know and when you do something different it takes time sure and uh, most business people are not patient so sometimes I have to sit back and say okay it's going to work it's different I, I know the A people are buying this I see the reaction of the clients it's right. going to work so it's, it's taken it takes everything takes time and uh, it's it, it has great potential. And is that part of what has made you successful? That you're sort of a, a, a patient visionary, if you will, or that you're willing to give things time to to become known. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really patient. That's the problem. Well, I but wondered about that be. because I haven't <laughs> I haven't heard that that's your reputation. Yeah. But you, yeah, you know, yeah. You I'm not me. really patient. But you have to be patient when you break new product. 
like if it's not a blockbuster within you know okay. a couple of months, it's like okay, you know, just let's keep marketing it, let's keep promoting it, let's keep advertising it, uh, because you know people see something new, they have to digest it. Sure. And I like to say that we do not follow trends at Pucci. If right. someone came up to me and said, uh, you know, the color of the season is is blue, we would not do blue, and that's for sure. Uh, so we, we we like to do things our way, and we and. And when you do things in, in the way we work, you know, you have to expect it takes a little bit of time before it catches on. Sure. So when you, when you think about your way and, and what is informing your own vision, are you, are you looking at what's happening in retail and on the mannequin side of the business and as well as what's happening in the, in the art and design world on the other side of the business? And tell yeah, me about it. I think where we get inspired, what, what turns us on, where we get our ideas from are mostly museums and galleries. Um, music. Right. You know, music, a certain music is playing a certain period. Then you start to think what was happening during that period. Then you start looking. And, um, you know, we like I said earlier in the conversation, we like pieces that are handmade. Mm -hmm. We like textural pieces. We don't typically like things that are too slick, though some of Hervé van der Straten pieces are beautifully slick, which is fantastic because he's the best in the world at it. But typically I like more unfinished pieces, you know, like a Jim Zivick's Cole or, or Chris Lerick's uh, pieces that have cracks in them. And, but it's a nice combination of the two. So, But I, I say we get most of our inspiration from galleries and museums. Okay. So you're, you're out and about, you're, you're seeing things that inspire you, you're listening to music, some ideas pop up in your head, and then what, what happens? So you get an idea, because I'm told that emails might be coming through at 2 or 3 in the morning from you, right? So you get these ideas, and is it an idea for an exhibit that you want to put on? Is it an idea for a piece of furniture that you want to make? Yeah, like, like, for instance, when I, I saw something maybe from Gene Arp, and I thought... John Koga, and then I thought, lamp. Let me shoot Koga an email, show him what I just saw of Gene Arp, he loves Gene Arp, and I said, this is sort of in your, I mean, I know this guy turns you on, right. and, and you know, we're not copying him, If he, he's certainly influenced by, by him though, and, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we turned this piece that you did and turned it into a chandelier or turned it into a table? And it would happen like that. And then he'll shoot back, love the idea. <laughs> uh, and he says, what do we do next? I said, well, why don't you just loosely draw something for me? And I'll give it to Michael, my sculptor. Right. And we'll start to play with it. And uh, I sort of know the scale it should be, whether if it was a table or if it was a, a, a lamp or if it was a chandelier. I'll, I'll know the floor lamp. I'll know the scale that we should do. And we'll shoot you a photograph of what we've done. And if it looks good, we'll continue. And if it looks good, I suggest maybe you fly in from Hawaii and spend like two or three days with this to fine tune it. And that's typically how it works. And so, so Michael Everett, your sculpture will start to work on something. Right. And, and then the artist will come in. And, and then the artist will come in and fine tune it. Like with someone like Nagar, that, you know, who, who, who lives half the year in New York, he's always here. And Patrick is someone that has just, uh, you know, he's filled with ideas. He's constantly going to museums. He's just like an encyclopedia of design. And so he's always sketching. And he'll show me something at lunch. And I'll say, oh, Patrick, that's fantastic. I said, I mean, and that is very... 
uh, applicable to our, the way we work. You know, sometimes right. some pieces may not be perfect for the way we work. So it, it has to have volume and, you know, uh, it has to have, you know, shape. So to, to sculpt uh, and to, for us to produce, it has to be, it has to be sort of a poochy feel. Mm-hmm. And, and Patrick knows it. Uh, Paul Matu knows it. So all the people that we work with understand what we're capable of doing. And it, it is, it's very much a, a, a loose process, but at the same time, when they get involved, uh, they hear every day. Right. Okay. So then everyone starts to really work on the project. And then how long does it take for, uh, whether it's a collection or an, an exhibition, to, to come together? Right. I, I think the, the, the John Koga collection, which is, I think, maybe 10 pieces, took about six or seven months. Okay. And then Patrick Nagar's outdoor collection, we tested just the outdoor chair first. As soon as the outdoor chair was sculpted, then we had to throw the plaster, then we had to make the fiberglass mold. And we didn't have a big opening for that. We just decided to visually, and again, back to the mannequin world, as I started our conversation much earlier saying, you know, one jogger is effective, but 15 joggers is a statement. Right. And so instead of doing one fiberglass chair on the floor, I think we did eight of them in a row. In eight different, in four colors, but repeated. So it was like a real visual statement, and so people came in and they noticed it. It wasn't like you know just one chair tucked in the corner. What is that? Well, that's our new fiberglass chair, outdoor chair created by Patrick Nagar, executed at the Pucci Mannequin Workshop. We had eight of them. That was like they walked in and you had to see it and yeah. you had to say, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Yeah, and, and, and they do really make an impact because it's a very striking-looking right. form. Exactly. And, and, and it does immediately catch the eye. And who's the, so the space is, is, is open. One, one could come in any time during the day, right? And, yes. And, um, but do you get most of your traffic when you've got a, a big show that's going on? Or? Well, you know, we obviously we still have big, big openings. So when, when we do have an opening, that week is usually a very, very busy week. People are always coming in. But, you know, this is a private showroom. It's a very niche market that we're focused on here. So there's like maybe anywhere from, you know, seven to ten people a day come in. Right. And people are coming yeah. by appointment. And yeah, by appointment. Want to yes. see things. Yes, and, absolutely. And sometimes it will be very prominent designers and architects, and and sometimes it's just the clients themselves. Yes, that want to come and see things. Um, usually the clients. We, we like it. We like to have the clients come with their designers. Okay. Because it, it, it's a little bit different, you know, what we do here. Um, it's not mass-produced furniture, so, right. so some, they have to be educated. But you know, I think slowly, uh, people are becoming very educated to furniture. And, uh, you know, it's, I think, you know, it, it's, it's exciting time in the furniture field. Very exciting. Do you think? So, so why do you think it's an exciting time in the furniture field? I think the end user is becoming more and more educated. I think, you know, everyone's looking to, to be different. They're looking for unique pieces. They see, you know, the art world sort of changed that. You know, the art world is obviously booming. And, uh, you know, everyone likes the collectibles and people like to uh, attend all those art shows. And now, you know, the line between design and art is is, is blurring. We've been blurring that line since 1985, (laughs) I think. Sure. But now it's really, you know, it's becoming accepted. And, you know, even though we have not done shows in... in, uh, 
in our Basel, we do our own because we have three showrooms. We do in our right. own showrooms. But I think the line is becoming, you know, very blurred. And the people who are looking for unique pieces of art are also looking for unique pieces of furniture. And uh, you know, these are smart people who are buying this art, and they do their research, and they are uh, well aware of some of the names that Pucci represents, and they, and they want to be on the ground floor. Yes, and and you're servicing a very high end clientele exactly so they're collecting art they're collecting furniture they're they're doing sculpture right yeah, yeah, yes yeah so they're, they're somewhat on a, on a different level than sort of the mass production furniture company oh no totally different yeah now right? these, these people are intelligent people who are looking for uh, you know what's happening in the art world and like you said that's why I always look at art and museums it's sort of almost one and it blurs into the furniture yeah, and so that's what's what's keeping you informed about, yes, about, what's, exactly. about what's happening. And is it so, so? Your New York is your home base, as you were saying. It's where you're most well known. But you, but you've been out in L.A. now for some, some yep, time. Yeah, we've been in L.A. 10, uh, 12 years. We opened up a we we bought a building in L.A. in Hollywood. It's a fabulous building. It was an old 1920s dance studio. I personally think it's the most exciting showroom gallery in Los Angeles in any field, whether it's art or <laughs> furniture. It's it's a, a sensational place, right. a truly truly a beautiful location, and uh, we we show all our best designers there. And previously we were at the design building in L.A., which never really was never really Pucci. So we, we're the very, PDC, you mean? Yes, okay. we were at the so PDC, designer. which we, we okay. it was it was, it was ten successful years. Right. But we 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 wanted to bring New York to L.A. the way we do it. Okay. And uh, by owning our own building, being in our own space, and it's a great area. It's an up and coming area filled with art galleries, restaurants, and some furniture stores. So we we are very excited about L.A. And then in Miami, we're in the Wynwood Art District. And again, you know, we did not go to the design district um, where most people thought we were going to go to or should have gone to. We went to Wynwood, which was a little funkier. Right. And, you know, it's filled with all this, like I like to say, this heavy metal graffiti all over the place. It's exciting. There's coffee shops. There's, it's just an exciting vibe there. And uh, I think that's also important that we go to areas that are exciting and different. Uh, so we opened up Wynwood five years ago, I believe, mm-hmm. and we opened it up very, very uh, quietly. We just painted the building gray, and then you walked into this big white space. It was a, a box factory, and we just painted it. And um, over the years, we, we kept it, but just recently we decided that, uh, okay, let's play let's play ball with the rest of the guys in the neighborhood. Everyone's doing murals, we'll do a mural. We love murals. My entrance to all my showrooms always have murals. You know, I work with everyone in, in the art world to create an environment for us. Right. So I said, let's work with um, Jeff Quinn, who's someone that had done murals for me before, and he painted the outside of the building. And it, it, it created, but it was done in a sophisticated, chic, poochy way. Whereas everyone else in the neighborhood is, you know, is literally, like I said, heavy metal murals. And it was really well received. And we plan on continuing to utilize this idea and concept and our artists to create the outside of the building. So in December, coming up, in uh, this coming December, uh, the great India Madhavi is creating uh, the environment on the outside of the building, the mural inside, as well as all her furniture. Fantastic. So we're very excited about that. And and is it a very different client that's coming to you in L.A.? I mean, is it... 
are they are they interested in different pieces? Are they looking at different things? You know, over the years, little we, we took LA step by step. We didn't come in there with all our like uh, all our biggest and most unique, expensive pieces. We, we we went step by step in LA, and now LA basically has the exact pieces that New York has. So I think it's you know Erve van der Straten, India Madavi, Patrick Nagar, Eric Schmidt, uh, you know. One of my personal favorites is Jens Rism. You know that yeah. he, he's he, that's a great story too because I met him when he was ninety five. So tell me that story. Yeah, that's a good one because I'm very he proud of that. Away, yes, sadly. he recently passed away at, at the age of a hundred. Uh, I think maybe uh, when he was eighty five. And it's funny because when you're doing projects, you don't think uh, of age. You just you just start doing and you start working and you know then how old are you? Uh, so. He came to me when he was 85 years old, and he said, can we work together? And I, I heard good things about you, and I would like to bring back some of my classic pieces. It would be done under license, so you would produce it. You will produce the upholstery, you'll produce the wood, you'll do everything. Oh my goodness. Which was, I was looking to do that, because at that point, I basically had been Andre Putman's or Chris Lerick's gallery. Right. And now this took us to another level. Now we became a little bit more involved in, in the creative process, similar to what I am with the mannequins. And right. I'm very used to that process, and we like being involved in the entire process. So Jens uh, you know, gave us all these great ideas from uh, his past that he thought would be successful. We had a show, and it was very, very well received. And he was so into it. He called me up, how we doing every day. And then one day he said, when's our next show? I said, Jens, we just gave you a show. <laughs> I said, I can't give you a show every six months. And he laughed, but he's very persistent. And so I said, you know what, Jens, it's summertime. And I was looking at your archives, and I found two pieces, the A-line chair and the big chair. I suggest, you want to do a show, I suggest that we do those two pieces. And he said to me, Ralph, how can we do a show with two pieces? You need like 20 pieces. I said, Jens, we just did a show of 20 pieces. We have to let that settle in. We have right. to have that sell. We have yeah. to see what the people gravitate towards. But I have a hunch that these two pieces will be a hit. And he says, well, I don't know how you're going to do a show with just two pieces. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to repeat. Again, back to the, uh, the repeating of an image. Right. I said, let's do, I'm going to do like eight A-line chairs and one big chair. And I'm going to have the big chair center of the room. I'm going to have Malcolm Hill, this fabulous artist, create the environment, the backdrop from mural. And we will have all the A-line chairs in a sorbet color. And we'll have the, uh, the big chair, the cl your classic big chair, done in night, cre first created in the late, late, late 50s. And we'll have that in white. He says, well, I don't know how that's going to look, but if you think it's going to work... Let's try it. So we showed it. It was a monster hit. It's now, and it still continues to be Jens Rism's biggest hit for Pucci. And it's just a great story to work with someone like that. So we worked together for 15 years. He was very appreciative of what we were able to accomplish to bring his name back because he was forgotten. There was no question about it. No, absolutely. And, and, and he's such an extraordinary figure. Yeah. And, and how great that so late in his life to have this resurgence. It was, it was a gift. Yeah, yeah. And, and, right? and it's nice to hear because his family tells me that all the time. 
And, and Jens and I, you know, we, we, he, here's another cute story. When I started to work with him, I said, Jens, how often do you think you want to go to the workshops to see the progress of the furniture? And he looked at me with this really strange look. I, I said, did I say something wrong? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, I go out every week, like every Tuesday or every Thursday, I run out to the factories to see the progress of the furniture. And it could go on for six months. And he says, I want to go to every meeting. <laughs> so that was the kind of passion he had. How great. Yeah. yeah that he wanted to be that involved. Absolutely. At the age of 85. At the age of 85. So, yeah. yeah. And, and was he getting around well? Was he, yeah. He was, okay. he was so getting he around was, very, very well. Okay. So he was he, mobile. And, very. Okay. Very much so. And they loved to talk design, loved to talk marketing ideas. He loved the way that we do things at Pucci. And he used to say that, you know, uh, over the years in my mannequin business and my furniture business, I've been known to use many great photographers. And he used Richard Avedon to do one of his first ad campaigns. And I would show him some of my, uh, you know, uh, exhibits utilizing the, the photographers of today. And actually, I used Richard Avedon for one of my mannequin shoots. Hmm. So it was funny. So we had Richard Avedon as a, uh, he used them in the 50s, and I used uh, Richard Avedon in uh, the 80s when I did a mannequin with Bob Curry. So a lot of his marketing and his visual ideas were similar to mine. And which is pretty, pretty great to have someone like to, to bounce ideas off of who is like, you know, 30 years older than me. A absolutely. And, and, with, and with such talent and, and such a history. Right. And what, what has informed your ideas about marketing? Because you've got very specific notions about marketing. You know, I don't like anything tricky. I like simplicity. I like edginess. You know, I mean, I think Calvin Klein was a master at marketing and in advertising and you know I, I, you gotta tip your hat to him he knew what sure. he was doing and uh, you know so I grew up in uh, visual I grew up in the mannequin world and yeah. you know Calvin Klein was pretty big in that world <laughs> you know we, we did a lot of his mannequins and he, he so, so you get inspired by him and you see you know the, the simplicity of the negative space and white space uh, on, on a page and uh, that's something that I always gravitated towards and, you're always looking into history books of photography. And as I yeah. always say, you gotta have your eyes and ears open. You're always looking at some kind of book because that's a lot of ideas. As you see here, you know, I'm filled they're, they're with- They're stacked up very high. They're, they're yes. stacked they're up very high office. here and, yes. and they're stacked up even higher in my home in Connecticut. I can, I can imagine. Yeah. And, and, when I, when I, and I just flip through them all the time. And if you get one idea, it's certainly worth it. Yeah, and, the, and then, you can, then you can run with that. So you seem very optimistic about where the industry is going at, at a time when many in the industry are not feeling overly optimistic, right? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that the 2008, 2009, the financial crisis, I'm guessing that was a, a pretty difficult time for both the retail side of your, of your business and the trade and furniture. Coming out of that, many people feel the interior design world hasn't sort of fully recovered from the financial crisis. Why do you think that is? I don't know. We, 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 were, we were actually having the best years of our lives right now. Right now? Right now. This okay. is the best first six months we've ever had. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, we've had some changes here. You know, there's some, some one, or, one or two of my main designers, for one or whatever reason, went somewhere else for... They were sold. So when, when you take a hit like that, we had to re replace them, uh, a pretty good name, and we replaced them. So uh, I think if you're doing something different, we're always doing shows. We, this year, I think we did the gigantic show in May. We had a big show in uh, L.A. 
in, in, in April. We showed the work of the painter James Brown with, um, we're always doing work, you know, we're always showing pieces. Oh, we show Pierre Poulain. We have the estate of oh, Pierre right. Poulain. Yes. Okay. And that's, that's, that's been a major, major coup for us. I, sure. Again, that's like, you know, you have to, you can't get too set in your ways. And we were very set in our ways with mid-century modern. You know, we had Jens Rizm, we had Vladimir Kagan. It was selling, it was selling, it was selling. And you, you could get into a rut of just letting it all happen. And uh, fortunately for us, in, in a strange way, you know, uh, Vladdy uh, ended up selling, when Vladimir Kagan passed away, they ended up selling his business to uh, Noel slash Holly Hunt. Yeah. And, you know, at first it's like, whoa, wow, that's a hit. But it was really great. It was really, it, it made you get more focused. It made you not be so relaxed. And out of the clear blue, I got a phone call from Benjamin Pollan and said, I'm Ralph, I'm in New York. I hear unbelievable things about you, your company, your showrooms. Can we have lunch? I said, sure. We sat down and over lunch, we decided to work together. And uh, so we were able to bring in freshness right. and new ideas. Right. And I think the industry needs freshness and new ideas at all times because the mid-century modern, as successful as it was for me, it was beginning to be all over. and. I'm not going to say it became boring, but it became predictable. And when you do anything predictable, that's the beginning of the end. And Polan brought in total freshness. Yes. It's like, whoa, is this new? This is fresh. <laughs> you know, yeah. we went from, uh, you know, thinking music. We went from Chet Baker to the Beatles Magical Mystery Tour, which is fantastic. You know, it's like, yes. it's really different. So my clients who are looking for new and different, you know, walk in to see this and they're like, fantastic right. I remember Charles Guathme once said to me I said you know Charles thanks so much for always coming into Pucci and thank you so much for uh, you know supporting our ideas he used to love the Jean-Michel Franck pieces from Andre Putman uh -huh. and I'll never forget what he said he said Ralph I love bringing my clients here to you because it's always new and always fresh I'm bringing all these important clients of mine to all the different showrooms and they look the same and the same sure. and they're sort of bored when I bring them to you they get all jazzed up and they, they're excited and then we go for lunch and then we you know we talk and then the, the juices are flowing and then they're really into you know creating a special home and I always remember when Charles said that, and it was a major compliment coming from someone of his stature. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm sure that his clients felt the, the privilege of getting exposed to, to this space, something well, I hope they, so. they wouldn't have seen on their yeah. own and wouldn't they, have had access to. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. and, and, and I think it, it is such an extraordinary space. Everyone that comes through here, my producer, Lauren, when she first got here, was just sort of eyes wide open right. as she walked through everything. And it, it is an incredible space. And it's, and it's been able to maintain that freshness, as you say, that people expect from you. You're going to sort of pull them in the next direction, whatever that is. It's interesting what you were saying about mid-century modern. It seems to be everywhere on the, on the lower end especially, right? Yes. All, of the, all of the inexpensive furniture companies are making mid-century modern or what they perceive to be mid-century modern pieces. Exactly. Right? And there's just so much of it. What is going to be the next thing that, that comes along yeah, for people? I'm, I'm never good at telling someone what the next thing is. I'm pretty good at seeing it, though. Okay. And like I said, right now, we're very big on the whole Pierre Poulain thing. Right. And, and, you know, and my sales for the collection, I think, prove that we are uh, working with the right uh, company, the right family. What's great about his family is that uh, Benjamin, his wife, and, uh, and, and Benjamin's mother are very, very... Uh, 
are very, very strong, have, have a very strong vision that they want to keep the integrity of this Pierre Paulin line, and they want, they really want to make the success uh, that that they feel it should be, and they they feel it too. And we where we we're having, like I like to call the A plus, the visionary clients buying right. this, and then when you go to the house and see it, it just looks so new and fresh. So we we, we feel that that. Uh, you know, working with the Pierre Polan estate, working with Hervé van der Straten, working with Patrick Nagar, working with Eric Schmidt, uh, working with Chris Lerica, we'll find what's next, you know, but it's tough for me to tell you what's next. Sure, but it's going to come to you. Whether it's it, going to come. Whether it's through the, it's the books, come. whether yeah. it's yeah. The, You have your eyes artists. and ears open, it's yeah. going to come. And we definitely have our eyes and ears open. We're always... You know, we're, we're, we, we like to think we're a sponge. I like to think I'm a sponge. I try to teach my family and my sales team, soak it all in. Right. So speaking of your family, so your son, Michael, yep. has come into the business about five, five years, years ago. ago. Yep. Yes, yep. right? And you must be very proud and, and uh, excited. I, I couldn't be more proud. He is a, he's a businessman. He's a, he gets along well with my designers, very, very well with my designers as I had Andre Putman to sort of mentor me and to have my eyes opened. I had Markopoulos and I had Andre to have my eyes open. You go to museums. Patrick and, and Patrick Nagar and Michael have a great relationship. And when you listen to a Patrick Nagar talk, whether it's about a design, whether it's about film, whether it's about music, whether it's about life, you know, that, that's, that's fantastic for someone young. Michael's 28 years old. To be surrounded with Patrick Nagar is a gift. Yes. And um, so all my designers like him very much. He has a passion. He has a good way with people. He's a good business mind. Is a terrific business mind, and what we're doing right now is I've always based this company off of creativity, creativity, and creativity. <laughs> I think that's what makes us unique, and no one's ever going to change my mind that uh, a business has to be driven by creativity and uniqueness. But Michael Pucci is starting to make the company a little bit more professional and you know times are changing okay. uh, the world's changing whether mm -hmm. it's uh, uh, department stores whether it's magazine world whether it's the music world everything is changing and sure. you know, the internet and you got to be savvy and i'm not necessarily savvy in those okay. areas so and he is he has his mind his he has his eyes open to what's happening and i think the company could become more professional more effective so with the combination of creativity and uh, and presentation and showmanship with a with a with a with a solid uh, uh, business vision behind it. Uh, I think the company is pretty pretty. Uh, the, the the expectations and the capabilities are, are limitless. Okay, so you see bright things in, uh, in the future. Incredibly, incredibly bright. Because I think almost any designer in the world wants to work with us. I don't think there's not. I don't think there's anyone who, if if I had called them up, unless they. And I wouldn't work with someone who's already working with, uh, you know, another big company. Sure. But but if there's someone out there that's available and that's looking to, uh, to have their work shown in America, I don't think there's many designers that would say no to us. So we have the ability to bring in super talent. And we are also now focusing on, uh, like I said, uh, the, the, the back of the house, I guess, so, you know, just to really make it a more efficient company. Yeah. And do you have your eye on a designer that you would love to, to work with? I have a few, but I'm not going to say. I thought you that would. That I can't but say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you've got some in your mind. I, I have, I, I have one with. or two people that I'm looking at, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if we add someone, um, you know, within the next year. Uh, I don't like to add, you know, the last ones we've had have been uh, Pierre Pallon, 
which was, I think, a year ago. And we've given the estate and Pierre Pilon uh, two shows already. And then we had Xavier um, Lust from mm. uh, Belgium. He, he's had a show in New York, and he'll eventually have a show in uh, L.A. So it takes a little bit of time to pioneer these people. For you know, A lot of the people, as famous as Pierre Pilon is, you'll be surprised how many people do not know who he is. Sure. You know, it takes time to, to present these people. As I said before, you have to be a little bit patient. You have to do the show. You have to market it. So I think both of those designers are, are, are clear sailing. They're on their way. They're, they're appreciated and they're understood at Pucci. And I think it's time to take some new people on. Okay. And so Son Michael, he's going he's gonna to help sort of pull the, the company into the future a little bit. What do, you, what do you think the future looks like for Ralph Pucci International? What do you, what do you, where do you think it goes? Where does it go? We've been in this location 25 years. It's an incredible location. Amazing space. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing space. But I do believe that, uh, you know, in time, you have to, I mean, the areas are changing. Everything is changing. I think to be successful in business, you have to own your own building. Unfortunately, I do not own this building. Okay. We own Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So our eyes are open. We have five more years here. Our eyes are open to possibly buying a building in New York City. It would be a very unique building. I have no idea. We have not started to look yet, but I, I, I could see down the road maybe a new location for us. Okay. Uh, I possibly see us in Europe. Mm. And I think the three sh locations in New York are enough. Uh, three locations in the United States are enough. But possibly a new location in, in New York in, 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 in five years or so. Okay. And possibly Europe. And possibly Europe. Okay. And, and for you personally, is there is there another chapter for you personally? Is there that that jazz club is there is there a next thing for you you know I, I don't think there's going to be a jazz club even though i like to kid around I, we work with the estate uh the estate we work with the foundation the jazz house kids okay we've done two uh shows with them that's christian mcbride uh the the, the incredible bass player the world famous bass player christian mcbride we play we, we we've done fundraisers for them two years and that's the, so we turn one of my floors into a jazz club for the night fantastic and, and we've had uh esperanza spaulding perform last oh, season love her and the season before we had the guitarist john pizzarelli Oh wow! So uh, it's it's really be, it's, so I, I kid around. I always say well, this is this is my jazz club. Uh, I think I'm going to continue in this business. Okay. You know, I, I, okay. I don't know how the chapters. I don't know the ending. I have yeah. no idea. And, yeah. and it's you know it's sort of uh, it's it's not probably good to figure out the ending. Let the ending happen on its own. As we've let everything happen on its own here. You know, it's it's it was never really a plan for me to go into the furniture. It was never a plan for me to go into the furniture business. No, I'm not even sure there was a plan for me to go into the mannequin business. I thought <laughs> I was going to maybe be a musician. Sure. Early, then yeah. I thought maybe I was going to go into advertising or public. Publicity. I ended up in mannequins, and then it turned into be something I loved, and I got along well with all the different buyers, and then it went into the furniture. So, you know, there was never really a plan, so I don't right. have a plan for the ending. Okay, okay, so we'll have to wait and we'll see to, yeah. what happens next. Yeah, you tell me what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to, to, to seeing what does happen next, because there's always something new happening at, at Ralph Pucci. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank you, enjoyed it. M my guest has been Ralph Pucci of Ralph Pucci International. Thank you again for joining us. The show is Business of Home, and I'm Dennis Scully. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe, tell a friend about the show, and most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you again to our sponsor and our producers. You can find us at businessofhome.com 
or on Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next week.